0: This episode is brought to you by MatSing. Does your venue need a high capacity, reliable network to provide a better fan experience? Did you know that MatSing's innovative lens antennas provide the highest capacity connectivity in stadiums and arenas globally, with only a few antennas needed to cover entire venues? Contact MatSing at MatSing.com to discuss your venue's advanced connectivity needs. This episode is also brought to you by Extonet Systems. Connecting customers quickly, securely, and reliably to networks and solutions is more crucial than ever. Extinet Systems powers the networks that make buildings run, with secure 5G and fiber neutral host solutions found in thousands of locations, relied upon by some of the largest sports and entertainment venues in the country, with services that include infrastructure, indoor-outdoor mobility, Private wireless networks and enterprise connectivity, Extinet provides businesses with what they need to thrive. Visit extinet.com to learn more. That's E-X-T-E-N-E-T.com. Sports stadiums and large public venues come in all shapes and sizes. Some have domes, some have natural grass fields, Some have banked concrete ovals, where cars drive fast. While no two stadiums may be perfectly alike, there's one thing that all stadiums today have in common, a reliance on technology. This is the Stadium Tech Report podcast, where we talk to people on both ends of the stadium technology equation, including the stadium technology teams who deploy it and use it, and the vendors and service providers who supply it. I'm Paul Kapuska, editor of the Stadium Tech Report and your host on the Stadium Tech Report podcast. When it comes to the world of collegiate sports information technology, there may not be two people with more experience than Jim Null and David Payne. And even though Jim leads a sports IT effort at the Ohio State University, while David does the same at the University of Oklahoma, two schools that are almost always in the hunt for national championships in many sports there may also not be two better friends in the industry. According to the two, it's a friendship born of the mutual need to have a like mind to share ideas and information with. A partnership Jim and David have spread across the U.S. collegiate sporting world, fostering knowledge sharing among their peers in both formal and informal ways. Listen in as we talk to Jim and David about the challenges of dealing with the accelerated change brought about by the recent COVID pandemic, and what the future looks like as more technology is introduced to the tradition-bound world of collegiate athletics. Can you tell us how long you've been in the business and how long you guys have known each other? Because as long as I've been you know, part of this scene, uh, you guys have always been uh, sort of a, a pair in great knowledge and fun. So <laughs> so uh, give me a little bit of background on, on the relationship. How did you guys come to get to know each other? When did you guys first meet? You know, that's interesting you should say that because Jim's wife um sometimes
1: calls me his brother from another mother. So um.
0: <laughs> That's great.
1: <laughs> but no, I've been uh I've been doing what I'm doing for um this is my eighteenth year. And uh Jim and I met actually at the Origins of the Old Seat Conference. Oh, right. It was still a part of the Association of Luxury Suite Directors.
0: Right, right. Um, That's where it got started, right?
1: And um, they they started an IT division. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but they started an IT division uh, in the Phoenix year, uh, right after the what's it called now, State Farm.
0: Uh, yeah, State, State Farm Stadium, Stadium was the University of the which, Pacific. Was or? open.
1: And uh, we were out there. There were about 30 uh, sports and entertainment IT professionals participating in the larger ALSD conference. There were two from the collegiate space, uh, University the Ohio State University and the University of Oklahoma. And that's where we met. Mm-hmm. And we spent a couple of years meeting every year at SEAT, being the only two collegiate representatives and sitting around after the session saying some, you know, some of these are really great ideas, uh, but they're great ideas in the pro realm. And I'm not sure exactly how they translate to collegiate athletics. Um, And wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be good to have more people around that, that we could kind of bounce that off of and say, how do you, how will we make that transition? Because neither of us were creative enough to make that next step on our own. So. And I'll just shut up there and turn it over to Jim. And let him add anything before I ramble and say too many stupid things.
2: So yeah, I mean, I, I've been in Ohio State for 22 years, but I've been working in IT for pretty much my entire career. So you know, tack another 20 onto that, and that's probably about what I've been working in the uh, the industry in general for for technology. Um, but David's right. I mean. Uh, I kind of thought, you know, I never really imagined there was a lot of technologists or IT people doing what I was doing. Um, And you feel a little isolated. And back then, I don't think it was, I don't know, you just didn't hear, you know, I worked in, in manufacturing, I've worked in uh, the airline industry, I've worked in a few different industries and it's like, there, there are specific things that IT does, but this was, this was unique when I started here, you know, um, it just wasn't it was like, OK, I'm in a department at a university. They need technical support. And I did it. But what they didn't tell me was like there's a hundred thousand seat stadium and there's football games every Saturday and you need to be there and wow. you need to make sure the computers are working. So when when I found David <laughs> all those years <laughs> ago at that conference, you know, the ALSD was it, it, it was great. They had some vision of like, hey, there's a technology um, track that might be very, pretty useful at this point in time. And I guess, Steve, I'm like you. I can't remember. I want to say like 2006, five, seven. Somewhere in there. Yeah. It, wow, it, it's pushing 15, 16, 17 years, I think, ago. And yeah, it was like it was like a light bulb that like, hey, if I could find some peers that do what I do, like, how do you, how do you connect the, you know, the, the scoring to the video board through a computer and get, right. you know, uh, all those things that go along with it. It's like, wow, this is a resource that I, I didn't know existed. And, and it was great. We cultivated amongst ourselves for a few years and then it kind of gradually grew. And we talked about Wi-Fi and daz every year. So, so, still do. I, we still I, do. I, we still do. It's an interesting topic of discussion for large venues and how do you how do you solve that problem? So I don't know. That's just kind of how we ended up together, and and I would I, our paths I feel like have been pretty pretty parallel in yeah. our lives, and I don't know. We just gravitated to each other, and Dave has become a great friend, and like if you, if I need somebody to. To find out what's going on in in the industry. I mean, I give him a call, or right, he'll give me a call, and I don't know. It's it's become a great uh, peer networking group that that's kind of come out of that. That's great. Well, so
0: going back, like, and, and looking back all the way back, and then looking at the last two years, could could either of you have ever imagined beforehand, uh, like what's been going on and I mean, just not just in the world in general, but even what that did, you know, to the things that you have to do and the things that you're responsible for. I mean, I I don't ever remember seeing a pandemic playbook anywhere. So maybe just quickly just describe what what the last two years have been like.
2: Unprecedented. Again, like you said, it, it, it was just it's unexpected flying by the seat of your pants a bit and trying to provide a service to a very unique industry where these coaches and student athletes continued on and continued through this and supporting that. It, it, again, I, it, like you said, there, there was no playbook and some good things came out of this, you know, and you try to look at the positive part of how maybe we, we provide our service. I think there's some positive things that came out of the whole thing. But overall, yeah, it was it was certainly the biggest challenge in my professional career. Yeah. yeah.
1: It was kind of the this disruptive event that accelerated some things, like not completely, but like digital transformation. You know, that's a buzzword we throw around in IT a lot. It's not as easy as the buzzword makes it sound because there are paradigms that are in place that people are used to functioning within and uh, some of those paradigms just get shattered. So, if anything, I think the the disruption accelerated some very positive things there uh, around, I mean, we didn't even know if we were going to be playing games, but right. we're also a university. Uh, and if we do play games and players are going to be eligible, they have to be in class. And if we do play games, uh, and we're going to social distance. They still have to have film time, which became a remote. So there was this flurry of activity around a lot of things that didn't even have any, didn't have anything to do with like the fan and the stadium. It had everything to do with the parts around it and having an effective and efficient setup where you can continue doing business as usual as much as possible, I guess, all centered around remote work. Uh, the other thing I think it accelerated. For us, it helped pay a little bit more attention to kind of the security side of things, um, where there may have been some lacks. You know, you just get, getting comfortable with the old processes and, and flows, and then all of a sudden thinking about, oh no, the, these data are going out um, through different channels, uh, and. And you know, yeah, it's one thing to protect the playbook, but then there are other types of data that are going out there that you have to kind of worry about. I will call it in general a positive thing, even though it was pretty painful, um, given the time constraints that we needed, that we had to kind of get things turned around and up and running in that different environment.
0: When we come back, we discuss the challenges of bringing new behaviors and new stadium processes to high profile stadiums with long standing traditions. More from David Payne and Jim Null after the break. This episode is brought to you by Matsing. Does your venue need a high capacity, reliable network to provide a better fan experience? Did you know that Matsing's innovative lens antennas provide the highest capacity connectivity in stadiums and arenas globally? with only a few antennas needed to cover entire venues. Contact Matzing at Matsing.com to discuss your venue's advanced connectivity needs. If you like our show, why not take a minute now to subscribe to make sure you don't miss another great episode. Simply go wherever you look for fine podcasts and search for Stadium Tech Report. We can be found on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and on SoundCloud, You should also visit our website at stadiumtechreport.com and sign up for our email newsletter where you will find links to all our past podcast episodes as well as all the breaking news, analysis, and commentary that will tell you all you ever need to know about the Stadium Technology Marketplace. Yeah, and I think the one thing that, that also sort of binds you guys together is that you know, you're both at sort of high profile places, you have big stadiums, you have long traditions. And and one of the things I noticed, especially this past year, as fans started coming back in full force, you know, there was a, a lot of new behaviors that had to be learned quickly. And I'm talking here about digital ticketing. I'm talking about security, about you know, just getting in and out of the building. Do you think that some of these things are going to need to be changed? Will they ever be changed? I mean, the whole weight tailgating to the last minute seems like that's going to fall by the wayside. Or is that never going to change and the stadiums have to adapt to that as well? I'm just curious, like over the past year, what did you notice and see when, when the fans did come back?
1: You know, I don't think necessarily digital ticketing is going away. Uh, it may transform into some other form where the, the token, whether it's a QR code on a phone that you scan, uh, or a biometric that takes place, uh, that could be a transformation that takes place. Uh, and I'm not saying we're actively working on that. I'm just trying to think down the road of what that could transform into. I think the funniest thing to me. In all of that is the hardest part about that transition to digital ticketing, were the fans who want to have that memento that they right. were at the site and so they didn't have the, the ticket stuff, um,
0: the souvenir ticket, they right?
1: can you know yeah. put in the frame and in, in the shadow box or whatever at home. You know there are some different ways to address that. Maybe that becomes uh, another another part of the what's available to them. You know for two extra dollars will mail you a paper ticket that you won't use, but it'll be a memento. Or yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm not trying to sound like we're we're trying to profit here, but I can tell you that the cost offset of moving to digital. We made a significant upfront uh, investment in scanners, right? But we significantly dropped our printing costs mm-hmm. um, in a six-figure range per year. Wow. So, uh, and you have to realize we're not just talking about, uh, in our case, eighty-five thousand per game per year. We're talking about twenty-one sports, and in Jim's case, even more, thirty-five or something sports. Not all of those are necessarily ticketed, but you know, a, a much larger number than just that football, which is a significant number, uh, and basketball. That's kind of the first thing that that the hardest thing and transition. The other thing is we have an old fan base. Mm. that comes to the stadium with some old phones. I mean, they're not all old. You know, in general, when you make that shift, it seems like their adjustment might have been to bring a kid who had a smartphone uh, early on before they actually went and maybe invested in another smart smartphone or for themselves or something like that. Uh, and I, that didn't happen in a, on a wide scale, but those are the t- little types of nuances that, end up taking up a lot of time at the gates uh, to explain and apologize and appease and, and those kinds of things.
2: So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. I mean, I think you asked Paul, have things changed or are they going to change? They have changed like 2020 um, you know, when we had no fans in the stadium to 2021, when we did have fans in the stadium, things changed and things changed quickly To David's point, we are, I want to say the last by the last game or even from the beginning, we're at ninety-eight or ninety-nine percent digital tickets. Wow. Um, Our ticket manager, I'm sure, could give you a lot better numbers on on that. But we have been like very focused on the digital uh, experience and tickets. Was it painful those first few games in 2021? Absolutely. Ingress new. New magnometers, new you know, metal detectors, new ingress patterns, new scanners. We also had a, a student population that hadn't been to a game in two years. That means two years of freshmen had right. never even experienced, never how been do there. I get to a game at noon? How do I get in? What's the path? You know, so when you have challenges, it's always not just one thing in engineering, right? It's like <laughs> this problem, and then there's this problem, and then there's the next problem. So there was there was of problems, I, admittedly, the first couple of games. But, you know, we adapted, our fan base adapted, um, our food and beverage vendors adapted, uh, merchandise, everybody adapted. And and I think, again, pandemic, while not not a overall no. positive experience by any stretch, but I, I think it put people in that. That mindset that, hey, things are different and I do have to change whether whether I like it or not or whether this is better. But overall, you know, if we can prove that it's better, they they accepted it even more readily. So changes have come. Changes are here and uh, kind of engaged a higher level of change that that still continues now that maybe we hadn't seen over the past, you know, six, seven years, 10 years, whatever you want to go back. As David said, we're pretty traditional schools here and change is, is uh, sometimes hard, um, but I think everything contributed to a, a positive uh, outcome from the changes that, that came down the, the, pi- the pike.
1: I I, I want to jump on and add one more thing I yeah. just, just thought of as Jim was talking. I think the two of us are probably examples from that change that we're well set up ahead of time because of projects that we had done in recent years before that in you know in some of our uh monthly meetings with our peers and as they're bumbling through and struggling through uh they're trying to figure out how they get connectivity out at their gates so that they can do right digital scanning and some things like that and those were not questions we really even had to deal with too much because of the investments we've made in our infrastructure um, the year before the pandemic ever hit. And we we actually had a year of experience, not with digital ticketing, but with connectivity. So that wasn't even part of our rush equation to get ready. That was already kind of in place for us. Uh, So that allowed us to think about things like, what if they don't download the tickets before they get here? Can we set up a staging area further out from the actual scan area and help help people before they get there to, you know, some manual things that weren't technology really related at all, um, because the we that the technology in place.
0: That's a great point because um, I, I think there were many places that were comfortable with just slow rolling changes, if you will, um, because you know the old ways were still still good. No, nobody was really complaining about them and. But now, you, as I think you said, David, you know, you, you don't have a choice. You have to go digital ticketing because COVID and social distancing and, and human contact, you know, it's, it just makes more sense. But what I'd like to ask about is, is more here now about the actual technology itself. So, Jim, I know you guys have the new weapons detectors, scanners. David, you have the new ticketing gates. Are, are there any other places where? You know, you see technology being able to really help improve these situations. We've been looking a lot at concessions technologies, you know, the the just walk out stores or the checkout free stores. Is there anything that's on your sort of wish list to look at next? But I'm just I'm curious on, on the technology side, because now that change is happening, you know, maybe it's time to push those things a little bit faster that you've been thinking about.
2: Yeah, I would I would say food and beverage has been pretty big on our, on our side. And, and those uh, walk in, walk out kind of uh, venues or those, those uh, grab and go, those kind of things have, have grown greatly. And our, our food and beverage vendor is, is working a lot on streamlining that, getting, getting, you know, turning over the, the, the sales faster to generate more sales. And again, it's tough. It's tough in our big venues you know, halftime, quarters, you know, how do we get people to get their, their food and beverage faster and quicker? And, and those, those really are some of the bigger things that we're working on actually for this, this summer and heading into next season. So those, yeah. those are probably the biggest area I think for us.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would say we, we didn't have it in place during the actual season, but with our spring game this last weekend, um, I'm trying to remember, we had like 75,000 people here for a spring game uh, this year, which is an all time high for us. That's um, great. As I was walking around the concourse, I noticed that our concessions provider had set up a few of these grab and go type things, particularly uh, related to beer and snack type items, where you know, a typical spring, uh, spring game before this wasn't quite that, that capacity, it was about half that capacity. And so they didn't plan to open all of their concession stands, but as they monitored, uh, what was happening with ticket sales and some things like, I mean, there's been a lot of drama around our team. So there was a compelling, and you know, the other side of it is it's kind of a one of those first events where even though we were at full capacity this, this past season, where the people are okay to come back out and, you know, the masking things are done and, and that we're not even going to go into the, all no. that because that there was a whole political um, thing where, but they all came into the stadium and yelled for the same team, so you know we, we had that communal element. But the the grab and go thing, even though there were lines there, they were moving pretty quickly. That was kind of a nice. I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever be like the what the Amazon store or the, the Whole Foods um, setup where you can walk in, fill your cart, and roll it right out to your car uh, without ever going through a checkout line, unless some of our Partners that help us with our digital presence start integrating those kinds of things in, but but you know it might be more seamless at a place where your your rights holder also kind of affiliated with your concessions provider is affiliated with your merch provider, where it all kind of rolls back into through a similar system. Otherwise, there's a lot of custom development um,
0: around that. That yeah, that's a very interesting take uh, because the, I think the places you are seeing. Them pop up first are exactly what you said, like Climate Pledge Arena, right? I mean, Amazon's the naming sponsor, so for sure, you know they're going to have a spot at the table there. But we're also seeing some interesting pop up things too, like there's, you know, actually stores look like little uh, boxes that they just put out, you know, out in the parking lot or out on the concourses, where it just, you know, it's a small thing, but the technology is all self contained, so you know, maybe those kind of things are are more flexible i i'd like to move on a little bit maybe away from technology but i know technology plays a part in this do you do you see stadiums i mean uh, david i know you guys just did a big renovation and there were some definite different changes things in terms of architecture and suites and different seating spaces do you see that happening more at other venues as well i mean it just seems like you know, you talk about maybe a new generation of fans coming in. I, I don't know if they're going to want to sit in the same seat every game, you know, the same place. You're starting to see these, like I call them, party porches, where people can walk around and meet with friends and stand in a different area of the stadium. What What do you guys see for, from that perspective? Is Is that a little harder to do, maybe, on the college scene just because of the traditions and the fact that the stadiums were built in 1813? let's see how old is how old is your
1: stadium is your, I, I think our stadiums are of similar age uh, within at least a decade so uh, concrete yeah. had just been invented right <laughs> <laughs> I think yes again the tradition piece uh, but then the the value proposition has to come into play and kind of the return on what it is although you know we're we're looking at a new softball facility our softball team, Quite successful. There's a lot. There's a lot of support around them. Quite honestly, they have outgrown the facility that they're in. Um, You know, they could host uh, an NAIA team in a fall season that doesn't count against the regular, you know, college World Series schedule or whatever. Uh, Just almost like an exhibition, and it sells out. Wow. Um, Part of that is because the stadium is really small. And, um, being a part of some of those meetings where they're talking about the design of the new stadium, uh, which we haven't even done groundbreaking yet. Those things are definitely at the forefront, um, where there, there are more social opportunities, uh, as part of the game experience, as well as, you know, having seats that, that you can sell and put people in. So, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's definitely, there, it will it will have to go that way, um, unless ticket sales trend back toward what they were in the you know nineteen fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties. So and but they're not, you know, they
0: Yeah, that's not happening, right? And and a lot of that, especially on the student side. I mean, when Nick Saban has to come out and say, Go sit in the seats at the number one school in the nation, you know there's yeah you know, something different is happening.
2: I, I would say the same i mean for ohio state we 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 did we we created a loge section at the stadium in 2019 that seats about 200 that's out in the bowl and then there's a uh a social gathering area standing standing room only area bar area that was very successful um it's got a lot of technology in it that i like but it, it was successful from a fan experience uh side of things also so uh, as that success happens, I think there will be more social considerations for sitting in seats and where they are. And uh, currently we're building a new uh, uh, lacrosse stadium that has some of those elements and uh, some of those things that allow for that gathering and moving around a little bit more than maybe is traditional. So um, I think everybody's looking at that, the facility folks and the ticketing folks and and how best to um, arrange that and, and, and leverage as best we can what, what space we do. When we come back, we take a look at what
0: other collegiate sports might grow quickly in terms of popularity. More from Jim Null and David Payne after the break. This episode is also brought to you by Xtanet Systems connecting customers quickly, securely, and reliably to networks and solutions is more crucial than ever. Extinet Systems powers the networks that make buildings run with secure 5G and fiber neutral host solutions found in thousands of locations, relied upon by some of the largest sports and entertainment venues in the country. With services that include infrastructure, indoor-outdoor mobility, private wireless networks and enterprise connectivity, XtNet provides businesses with what they need to thrive. Visit extinet.com to learn more. That's E-X-T-E-N-E-T dot com. That's really neat. And it's interesting that you both mentioned um, different sports. I mean, I know we talk a lot about the big stadiums, of football, the basketball, but you know, it, it strikes me that there are other sports that are really growing in popularity. And I know from you know, having been invited to your conference of the college IT people that there's a lot more things that take up your days (laughs) and your mind. The gymnastic scoring one just stays with me. Everybody's pain about trying to set up scoring at it. Yeah. I never even thought about that, right? It's like, there's a hundred things going on. It's all got to be scored. It's all got to be put together. But, um, what, what, you know, other lacrosse, softball, you know, I was amazed. I was at the women's final four, and, and that was completely sold out. There's huge enthusiasm, I, I think, across the board uh, for women's sports that might not have been there in my day at college, and it's great. What other sports do you is on are on your radar in terms of, you know, you're building a new lacrosse stadium. Um, I'm guessing soccer is probably a, a big growing thing. Are we going to see a big esports
2: crowd in the arena anytime soon? What's what do you guys see from where you sit? I don't see esports in the traditional sense of athletics. Uh, it's kind of managed in a in a different area. At least at, at our university, I think that's some structure, some governance, all those things around that. But as far as sports, as David said, we have thirty six sports. So you're right. We have, you know, our women's ice hockey won the national championship in the in the. I didn't see yet the Frozen Four. I wasn't at the Frozen Four, but that'll be next year. I love <laughs> hockey. Hockey's great. So so our girls uh, and the women's team did act, you know, like they won the national championship. So, um, you know, there's talk of a, you know, how, how do we elevate that program? And it's already elevated from a competitive, uh, kind of feel, but you know, that I'm sure they'll be looked at women's ice hockey. I mean, we just, um, uh, trying to think some other sports, but that, those come up off the top of my mind, you know, that, that generate a lot of discussion and talk and, you know, has done well over the past few years. Volleyball always does well, and I think they're on a they're on a pretty good rise. I think uh, volleyball uh, has has grown pretty just from the time I've been here. Like, it's it's a competitive sport. I think the big conferences have have kind of uh, moved in on on some of the competitive uh, nature of it. But I mean, those are the the two sports that come to my mind.
1: I don't know if there's any. Outside of what we've already na- named, I don't know if there's any one sport that's kind of on the peak of like blowing up. Um, but if the right team has the right kind of success and uh, a great story behind it that everybody can get around, I think that's that's what happens. Like for us uh, in softball, we've ha- we've been fairly successful in softball for all- for. Quite a few years, but several years ago when the, uh, one of the big tornadoes came through here and just wiped out mm. large swaths of land about eight miles from the university uh, and, you know, maybe eight, 10 miles from where they actually play the Women's College World Series, that uh, about the time of the college World Se- the Women's College World Series, there was a lot of media attention focused right here at that point in time. And here's this local team shown out helping their neighbors find housing, pick up their belongings, and then going out here and competing. Uh, and so there, there were all these elements that were playing in that. And, you know, I think here we are years later, the team is still very successful. Uh, and that helps a, a great deal, but, um, I think they're still riding the wave of that. I was getting text messages from our from our peers that we see at our conference uh, during that College World Series, uh, cheering us on because they they were so moved by this tragic event that was happening in yeah. You know, so I think I think uh, that could happen probably at any high profile uh, um, school or or event that. Well, last year, the James Madison story in the College World Series, the Odyssey of Alexander um, story, that, that was one of those things that kind of helped elevate it even further. And as long as there are those kind of stories and the right kind of media
0: attention around it, I think that that's going to, that can feed those kind of things. But e- But even at these kind of events and at these venues, the fan expectations are the same, correct? They're still going to complain if there's not Wi-Fi. (laughs) They're still going to, right? right? They expect it to be at the level of the football uh, stadium or basketball arena. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's
1: the challenge um, uh, that we're that we're still trying to address is to have a a consistent connected experience across the venues, um, so that they're not having to figure out a different way to connect at each place or each part.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. All right. It's crystal ball time. I'm Elon Musk. I have another $44 billion. I'm going to build you a stadium of the future. What do you put in that? What's different? If you look forward five years, 10 years, what do you, what do you think we're going to need? I mean, connectivity needs are not going down. I don't think they're ever going to go down. You know, I don't know if gambling is ever going to be a part of collegiate stadiums, but you you're certainly seeing it at professional venues now. They're getting sports books. What you know? What do you guys see? What's what's the future? What what's Wi-Fi eight going to look like? I may be the first person to say Wi-Fi eight. I just want to claim that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Wi-Fi seven's been out there a lot uh, here in the last few weeks. Right. And, uh, yeah. The first thing, the lesson that I've learned, and probably Jim would uh, echo this, uh, because we our projects, our stadium. Upgrade projects happen simultaneously. And we, man, we were on the phone together all the time, just comparing notes and uh, maybe even just crying on each other's shoulders every now and then. But the, the biggest investment from a technical perspective is in something as unsexy as the core infrastructure. That, uh, getting getting the kind of capacity you need in place and the kinds of cable paths to serve every area that would be a part of this. And then beyond that, uh, the rest kind of takes care of itself because you can attach uh, IoT things here and there for the fan plazas. You can you can have AR, VR uh, types of experiences where maybe instead of bringing fans down to the field and, and having a, a safety concern, you take them into an arena or into a room and you have an AR experience and they get to or, uh, or a vr type of experience and they get to maybe have a photo op with their favorite player and maybe you know maybe that could happen now in even in college with nil uh those
2: right types. i was waiting for david's answer because i really don't know you know infrastructure ab- infrastructure absolutely is needed um but I think it's a combination of how to enhance the experience not only in the venue but at home too. I mean I think broadcast uh, we talk a lot about the old stadiums and you know all the different camera positions and all the different technology that can enhance the visual part of of the competition um, and it, we want the people there at the stadium so it's a balance right how do you keep the competitive part of this and keep them uh, there, But again, our schools are traditional. Our, our sport are, are very traditional. And, and I think that the in-game experience is, is going to be there and people are going to gravitate towards it because it is uh, live and there. But I also think that the, the home experience is going to, that's where it's going to explode. The, in the metaverse, you know, am I going to be sitting on my island somewhere that I, whatever, watching the football game and, and really be so... I don't know. Immersed, immersed yeah, immersed yeah. into that, into that experience. That's going to require a lot of technology and rendering those three Ds. I mean, you know, we're going to have five hundred cameras around the stadium that videotape this or film this in a sequence that that puts it out there. So I don't know. I think uh, that's the interesting. As soon as you think you know where technology is headed, it's going <laughs> to. It's going to go somewhere else so the infrastructure truly is the pathways the fiber everything we can do to enhance that to to hand it off to the next generation i think is is really what what we should strive for in these next few years what happens in 10 years i i don't i don't even know if i can even <laughs> uh, come up with an idea that that fits in 10 years from now it's hard right yeah. All right.
0: Well, thank you again. Thank you guys both for coming in. This is always a pleasure. Um, you know, looking forward to finding a place where we can all get together again. Yes. We'd like to take a quick moment to thank the sponsors of Stadium Tech Report, whose support enables us to continue our efforts to bring our objective, unbiased, and unpaid for content to the Stadium Technology Marketplace. Our supporters include our co-producing sponsor, AmpThink, our survey sponsor, Verizon, our podcast title sponsors, x Systems and MatSing, and our publication sponsors, which include American Tower, Cox Business Hospitality Network, and Boinga. The Stadium Tech Report podcast is brought to you by Stadium Tech Report, the go-to publication for stadium technology news, analysis, and commentary. Technical production for the Stadium Tech Report podcast is led by creative director Dan Grimsley and digital designer Jackie Wen. Web and design work is by David Farris and John David. All contents of the Stadium Tech Report podcast are copyright Stadium Tech Report. Audio, video, and print content may not be reused without the express written consent of Stadium Tech Report.